hope that you guys had a good Christmas. Uh, thank you guys for being with us for the first youth gathering of 2022. And um, I don't know what your thoughts were of 2021. Dude, once again, when we don't have any music and we're not going at the same exact time, do they turn up in there real hard? Okay, so another year is upon us. I hope that you guys had a good holiday season. I hope that you were able to celebrate Christmas and New Year's with the people that you loved. Hopefully you were able to sleep in. How many of you guys stayed up way too late and slept in way too long? That's right. What? Just like during your Christmas break. Yeah. Totally. You just stay up too late. You eat really terrible. I saw this meme the other day that's saying, you know, we're all like laser focused leading up to Christmas. And then uh, December 26th through January 1st is everything's a daze and we're full of cheese. And so I just thought that was so funny because I was like, that was my life. And just not even knowing what day it is. Uh, but I also hope that you were able to reflect on a year this last year and remember the best moments of your year. Hope that you were able to reflect on this past year and maybe think about uh, the, the, the ways that you grew as a person and uh, maybe even just reflected on the moments of hardship over the last year. And uh, we just want to, uh, we're just praying that 2022 is another good year and that um, we grow, yes, as like a church and as a youth community and that we grow in our depth in who Jesus is and that we just grow um, in our friendships with one another. Um, we had a really great uh, Christmas as well and in holidays we spent a lot of time just doing fun things together. What we uh, the snow at our house, we couldn't build a snowman. Like, it would not stick together. I don't know if anyone else had that issue. Um, so we just built a little sledding hill in our front yard. I took, like, a plastic tote and then, like, piled snow on top of it. And then we just built, and then we built a jump, and they loved it. And it was really, really fun. And uh, something else that's happening uh, for us as a family is next Tuesday, our middle daughter Hayden is getting her tonsils removed. She's three. And so um, if you guys could be praying for us and praying for her, that would be so, uh, so appreciated. And um, I, that's happening on Tuesday, this next Tuesday, we don't know what time, but um, Pastor Josh is going to be filling in, um, preaching next Wednesday. And so um, just so you know, if you come next Wednesday, it's not going to be me preaching or any of us. It's Pastor Josh. Josh, he's a, um, the campus pastor at downtown Centralia. He was actually the former youth pastor here for five years, and so it'll be fun to have him back. Um, I'm planning to be here, but just wanted to give you guys a heads up. Um, so let's go to our our, our uh, Bibles. <laughs> Utana just texted me, so I just got distracted. Thanks, Utana. Um, Okay, so let's go to our Bibles. Let's begin um, at the passage that we are going to be studying tonight. So we are going to be looking at Mark chapter 14, and we're going to look at the first 11 verses of Mark 14. Um, if you have a paper Bible, so would love, for, or if you have a paper Bible, love for you to turn there. If you don't, and if you prefer using your phone, um, we post all of our uh, sermon notes on the YouVersion Bible app. So if you have that app downloaded, um, you can go to the bottom right-hand corner of the app. It says More. If you tap that icon and then go to Events. You'll see Bethel Youth will be populated right there at the top. If you tap that icon and then save the event, you can access 
um, the event on a later date. And all of, um, all of the notes will be in there, all of the passages that we'll be talking about. But one of the, also the good things about the, using the YouVersion app for your notes is there's a lot of, we, we try to post resources. So there's a couple of links to some articles at the end of um, the, the notes, just reflecting on just different things that we're going to talk about, as well as a short uh, Bible reading plan. So uh, what we've been studying the past few sermons is commonly referred to as Holy Week or Passion Week. And this um, Holy Week or Passion Week is reflecting on the events of Mark chapter 11 through Mark chapter 15. And so I want to just kind of briefly tell you the kind of the timeline of where we are in Holy Week. And so Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem and the Jews are shouting Hosanna and they're celebrating Jesus as their Messiah and their Savior. Um, Monday, Jesus curses a fig tree. He clears the Jewish temple of its corruption. On Tuesday, Jesus comes back to Jerusalem and is asked by what authority he was able to clear the temple of its corruption. Wednesday, the religious and political leaders ask him questions, trying to trap him. They ask him about taxes, marriage, and the commandments. And then Wednesday evening, Jesus is anointed in the city of Bethany. That's the text that we are going to be studying today. Um, and then Thursday, Jesus participates in um, a meal with his disciples called the Last Supper, and Jesus is betrayed and arrested. And then on Friday, Jesus goes before Pilate. He's beaten, um, he's crucified, and he's buried. And so this is, this is uh, what's referred to as Holy Week or Passion Week. So our passage is within the context of this week. And so we're going to be reading Mark 14, which is Wednesday night, I guess you could, you could call it. So if you are able, would you stand with me as we read Mark chapter 14, 1 through 11. And like I said, if you have your paper Bibles, turn there or it'll be on the screen or in the YouVersion app. It says this, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. And then Jesus says, verse 6, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. But she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. You may be seated. So, like I said a moment ago, um, this passage we just read is taking place on Wednesday evening 
of Holy Week, and the, which is the le- week leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. It's been a busy week with, for Jesus. He's had many um, interactions with the Jewish religious leaders. These interactions left these, the corrupt Jewish religious leaders and political leaders. They, they were angry at Jesus because he was calling out their hypocrisy. He called them out for what he describes in Matthew 23 as being whitewashed tombs. And this would have been an extremely offensive thing for, for them in this time period, especially around Passover and the festivals of unleavened bread, because Jews would paint or whitewash uh, the outside of tombs so that the Jews who were traveling within a 15-mile radius for Passover, they would travel to Jerusalem to be ceremonially cleansed as well as participate in the Passover meal. And so they would paint or whitewash the outside of these tombs so these Jews wouldn't um, you know, accidentally brush up against these tombs and then become unclean. And so the tombs, what they, what they looked like, they looked clean on the outside, but the inside was obviously still a tomb. It was still a burial place. It was full of death and decay. And what Jesus is saying when he's calling them whitewashed tombs was that that's the way that these corrupt religious leaders were as well. They looked clean on the outside. They looked righteous on the outside, but they were full of death, deceit, and sin on the inside. So in our text, in verse 1, we're, we're uh, told about two festivals. Um, two festivals are mentioned. The first one is Passover, and the second one is the Festival of Unleavened Bread. So Passover is a Jewish celebration of God's deliverance of the nation of Israel from slavery in Israel by raising uh, slavery in Egypt by raising up a deliverer named Moses. So each year the Jewish people would it, it would be a holiday of remembrance of what God has done. But it wasn't just a day of remembrance. It was also an anticipation of the coming Messiah who would deliver them from the oppression and the slavery of sin. So Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread were the first festivals actually commanded by God and celebrated by the Jews. So if you're interested in reading more about Passover, we're not really going to go much more into it. But if you're interested in it... um, I would encourage you to go to the notes at the bottom of the YouVersion app. There's a link that talks about Passover. Um, We're also introduced to a few different groups of people, some of which were the chief priests and the teachers of the law. So who were these different people? Um, The chief priests were the men who governed the people of Israel in relations to the law and to God. And the teachers of the law, also known as scribes, in some places in your Bible they'll be called teachers of the law, sometimes they'll be called scribes, but they're essentially a a synonymous name for one another. Um, They would teach the Hebrew scriptures in the synagogues. So why did they um, think that arresting Jesus in the midst of these festivals would cause a riot? So it kind of comes down to a few different things. They saw the receptiveness of Jesus when he entered Jerusalem on a donkey on what we call Palm Sunday, the Sunday of of Holy Week, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They saw how much the people loved Jesus and they didn't want to necessarily like cause any tension between uh, the religious leaders and the people because they loved him so much. So they're like, ah, we don't want to cause a rift in that. So they were going to arrest 
and kill Jesus in secret after the festivals were over. But that changed when Judas Iscariot went to them and said that, hey, I'll offer Jesus over to you quietly. So Jesus is with his disciples at a dinner party. Let's read verse 3 again. It says, while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So Bethany is a town uh, two miles outside of Jerusalem to the east. And I meant to download a picture to show you like a map and I totally forgot to do that. But this dinner party was happening at a man's house named Simon the leper. If um, you know anything about ancient history, you'll know, um, or if you've read anything about um, the Bible, but you may know that lepers were outcasts to society. Lepers were not able to um, be with the general population of a city because this leprosy was a skin condition that was really gnarly. So they would have these different um, housing camps outside of the city that were only occupied by lepers. And so um, because this was the case, so most likely this was a person whom Jesus healed prior to this dinner party. Um, also, another reason why he might have been called Simon the leper was Simon was actually a really, really uh, popular name in this area and in this time period. It'd be like the name Tim, Mark, or, um, you know, I think John is another popular name. And so that's kind of the, the what Simon was to them. And so oftentimes they would be differentiated by their family name or, um, in this case, the fact that he previously had leprosy. So who was this woman? So this is the house of the dinner party. So who was this woman that comes in, breaks open this jar, and pours oil like all over Jesus said, who is this lady? Um, this can be a bit complicated of a question to answer because there are similar stories that are recorded in all four of the Gospels. So there's three different instances in the Gospels where a woman pours oil either on Jesus's head or his feet or both to anoint him. So these accounts take place in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 7, and John 12. So you'll find, if you're reading at all in the New Testament, you'll kind of find a story that is very similar to this one. And most scholars and commentators believe that Matthew 26 and, Matthew, or and Mark 14 seem to be talking about the same event. John chapter 12 seems to speak of a similar event, but taking place on a different day, because it says it's six days before Passover. The third event in Luke 7 takes place in Galilee, not in Bethany, and it takes place about a year before the crucifixion in the house of Simon the Pharisee. So here's a common name, not Simon the leper. Um, so there is some confusion in this, like I said, but if you'd like to explore these different events, I would encourage you to do some research. You can do some Google um, and find the similarities and find the differences. There's also a link in the YouVersion Bible app for you to read about that if you would like. But it's believed that the woman is in this passage in Mark chapter 14 is Mary Magdalene. And actually, that's not even like fully um, agreed upon. But from my reading, it's likely that this woman is Mary Magdalene. So who is Mary Magdalene? What we know about her is about four things concrete that we know about her. She was a woman whom Jesus cast seven demons out of. She was a woman who financially supported the ministry of Jesus. She witnessed Jesus' death and was the first person to see him resurrected most likely, she was part of the group awaiting the promised Holy Spirit recorded in Acts chapter 1. 
So these are kind of the three to four things that we for sure know about who Mary Magdalene was. We don't know much else about her. You can find plenty of stories if you've ever watched like the movie The Da Vinci Code. Um, They say that Mary Magdalene was married to Jesus, which is there's no scriptural basis to that. Um, There's also a lot of other stories about who, uh, what what her background was. Uh, Many say that she was a prostitute um, because of the city that she came from. Um, but there's really no scriptural proof to prove those different things. But the big question is, why would someone, why would Mary Magdalene uh, pour perfume or oil on someone's head? And to us, this is really weird, okay? Think about having dinner at your friend's house, okay? I want you to picture their dinner table. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's the friend whose mom or dad makes the best food. And you're at their house. You're sitting at the dinner table. Or maybe you're eating at the coffee table. You're lounging because that's how they did it in the Middle East. They lounged on pillows. And then all of a sudden, this lady walks in and she begins to pour oil all over the dad that's there. This would be really weird, okay? We have no context for this. Like, the only thing that we use oil for is, like, I don't know, cooking, essential oils, uh, car oil, like motor oil, um, things like that. Like, we don't use oil in the ways, yeah. Light, we use oils to light fires, beard oil. We have all these different things, but, but dump, so yeah, essential oils, lavender. But we don't just dump oil on people's heads. But in this time period, it was customary for guests in someone's home to be dabbed with oil on their head upon entry into their home. So as this dinner party would come into Simon the leper's house, they would use a little bit of oil. They would dab it on the person's head. Sometimes they would wash the people's feet because as they were traveling to the house, the roads were nasty. And sometimes they would use a dab of perfume or oil on the people's feet to kind of cover up the, the stench of, of like poop and dirt and all these different things on their feet. Anything more than a drip was considered wasteful, and the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, instructed Jews not to be wasteful. And we have to remember, too, that the oil that was poured out was not a thick, goopy, sticky oil that we think of. It was kind of like this watery, really thin liquid that sometimes would even like evaporate as it came out of the jar. And it didn't just like drip and run down Jesus's face where he needed to go shower afterwards. That's not how it was. But we can see that this woman... We'll call her Mary Magdalene. Um, We can see that she did not just use a dab. There was no little plastic insert at the end of this jar to like limit how many drops would come out of it. She friggin' busts this thing open and pours it over Jesus's head. This act was an outward sign of her overflowing devotion and love for Jesus. Because what she was doing was she was recognizing that Jesus was the king. Because kings would be anointed with oil. People of authority would be anointed with oil. And this was a sign of reverence and a sign of thankfulness from Mary to Jesus. And the response of the disciples was most likely how you and I would respond to the situation. Do you remember what they said? Verses four through five. It says, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. 
their response was brutal and it was harsh. Indignant, it means to grieve much. They rebuked her harshly. The original language means that they were moved with anger. They were moved with displeasure. They would snort with anger like a horse. That was one of the ways that it was described. You could tell these people were straight up angry with her. Why did they respond this way? It's because of the price of, of the gift and the price of the jar and the oil that was poured out. Alabaster was an expensive white marbly stone, stone that was common in the region of Jerusalem. The text also says that, um, you, you read it, it was of, made of pure nard, meaning this perfume was derived from a plant that's only found in northern India. It was the best of the best. And the thing is, is it also had a very distinct smell. So when you smelled this, this smell, you knew that this person gave them the best of the best. So in their minds, the money that they could have gotten from selling this could have, could have helped so many people. The, the text says that it was worth about a year's wages, which in their time was about 300 denarii, which some scholars have done the calculations, and today that would be around forty to $60,000. Yeah. Yeah, you could buy a, a few cars with that. It's crazy. Forty, you could. You could even buy yourself an iPhone with that price. Um, Forty to sixty thousand dollars. So the disciples wanted to use that money to give to the poor and to be generous. Which can we just admit that's not a terrible thing? Like that's not something to be fully upset about. Like yes, you could help so many people out. And I mean, in fact, it was customary on the days previous before Passover for Jewish people to give money to the poor. So the disciples saw this as a missed opportunity. But the thing is, is they were also missing what was happening. Jesus sees what Mary did in a much different way. Verses six through nine, he defends her. He says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And it can be easy for us to see this and and think that Jesus is disregarding the poor and telling the disciples that the poor is not important. But this isn't true at all. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he instructs his disciples, he instructs people to take care of the poor, to look after orphans and widows. The Apostle James says that pure religion is taking care of the widows and the orphans. But what Jesus was getting at is he's been predicting his death for a while now, but the disciples were still in the dark. They were clueless as to what's taking place. This woman, however, was more in tune with what Jesus had been teaching, that his death was close and eminent, and she wanted to worship him and show him her devotion. In my study of this text, I came across this quote, and I want to share it with you. It says, He knew that in a few days he would be arrested, tried, and crucified. It may well have been that as he felt the whip lacerate his flesh, as he felt the nails pierce his hands and feet, he could also inhale the fragrance of that gift of spikenard and remember why he was doing this. 
Mary's gift may have strengthened and encouraged him even throughout his horrific ordeal as its strong scent still clung to his skin. All of this was too much for one of these disciples, verses 10 through 11. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So I want to I end with just a couple questions that I want us just to think about in this moment. Do my affections display my devotion and loyalty to Jesus? Is my worship of God a beautiful thing to him? Does my life recognize the beauty of what Jesus has done for me? Does the way I treat others and speak to others and speak about others, does it reflect your love for Jesus? What we see in this text is a woman who is deeply conveying her worship to King Jesus. Is what we do for Jesus out of a response to what Jesus has done for us? Is your life lived in such a way that remembers you were dead in your trespasses, you were dead in your sin, you were deserving of death, you were living a life of rebellion against God, but because of what Jesus has done on, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, he's gone to the cross in your place to carry your sin so that you could receive the free gift of grace. Does your life reflect that truth? So as we apply this text, I don't know what this means for you, but what I do know is it doesn't just mean that you need to go home and sell the most expensive thing that you got. It doesn't mean that you need to go home and sell your favorite maybe Christmas present that you got and give all of your money back to the church. That's, that's, what, that's not what I'm saying. If that's what you want to do, awesome. But I don't think that's exactly what this text is saying. What I do think it's saying is, is asking us to reflect on our priorities, the time that we give to things, and ask ourselves, who is most important? The disciples said what she gave was too much. But I want to encourage you with this. Your financial offerings are not a waste of money. Whether that financial gift is to like the church or whether it's to a friend or a family member or maybe some anonymous person that you don't know and you just come across them on the sidewalk, your financial offering is not a waste of money. Your time spent listening to that friend, praying for them, is not a waste of energy. Your practicing of hospitality is not a waste so I want us in the next few moments as we go to our small groups to, to process this on a little bit deeper of a level, we, um, we just want you to, to think about that. Think about where your devotion lies. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to our small groups. Um, the guys are in the back of the room. Girls are in the uh, front of the room. Um, high school is on this side and middle school is on this side. And your small group leader will dismiss you when we are done. <laughs>